Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Leading Women in Tech Time. Oh, I'm delighted to have you here. It's October. Wow. Where did September go? <laughs> in my defense, my September ended up being just a little bit crazy. COVID happened. Family things happened. I'll tell you about that maybe at some point um, down the line. And I just, I, I broke my tooth. There you go. Well, I just, everything seemed to happen in September. Power cuts, heating broke. Life threw me a lot of curveballs in September. What can I say? So I feel like I need a good snooze in October. But we're in Q4. Oh, there's something super exciting about Q4. Do you not feel that vibe? There's a there's a Q4 vibe. I just I just have to say that. Which actually does remind me, I had not planned to tell you this, but it does remind me that next week on Thursday, October 13th, I am running the Women Leaders Empowerment Summit with my dear friend and fellow executive coach for women, Moira Lethbridge. Uh, this is a great way to wrap up the year with a bang, set yourself up for a great Q1, make sure that you are ready to be that great independent leader, lead that thriving team to the end year without burning out and still having time for Christmas and holidays and family and all those things. This is something that we've rolled out to organizations as well as we make it public. Um, and it's just a great way to get really clear on your priorities, get really laser focused on what you need to be doing, what your team needs to be doing, what you need to be doing for your career, and how to ensure that you are getting the buy-in and traction that you need to make that happen. And all the tools that you need in order to allow that, such as dealing with your inner critic, your imposter syndrome, your self-doubt, your influence, your zone of genius, like all the things. I mean, this is a power day. <laughs> so if you are ready to make the most of Q4, but still cruise into the holidays and enjoy the holidays rather than being stressed out about them, please, please go check this out. We have a few spots left. It is a very small group of women. This is just the most beautiful experience. We like to just have a lot of time with everybody that attends. I'll pop the link in the show notes, but the URL is offers.morelethbridge.com forward slash women dash leader dash empowerment dash summit. Go look for that link in the show notes. Okay, right back on topic because I was not expecting to tell you that today, but it's a Q4 thing. So we'll just go with the Q4 stuff. I want to talk to you today about something called success wounds. Now, this is something that is a new concept to me, but as soon as I heard about it, it resonated. And so I brought on the original author of the idea of success rooms, Brooke Taylor, and bringing her onto the show. She's a career coach for conscious female leaders. That's how she calls herself, conscious female leaders. What a great way of describing what some of us do. Former Googler as well. And in her coaching programs, she has been helping women globally, for years now, but she focuses on this concept of success wounds. I'm going to let her describe what they are, but it really resonates in the damage that we can do from the success we've had in the past and how that holds us up, how it holds our teams up and how it holds our organizations up. I think if we can understand this as a principle, we can really lean into how to become better leaders outright because we let go of the baggage that has been our success that's got us to where we are today. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I Let me just tell you a little bit more about Brooke before we get her on the show. Obviously, she's a coach, 
but she's worked in sales, go-to-market strategy, people management. She's also headed up programs at the Dream Collective as well as at Google. Um, the Dream Collective is a global diversity and inclusion consultancy. So this woman speaks my language and she's based in LA in California. So where many of you are, I know we have a lot of listeners in California, although you're all over the world. We have some listeners in South Africa and Afghanistan, which I am super excited about, by the way. Hello, if you're in Afghanistan, drop me a DM on LinkedIn. So without further ado, let's get Brooke onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Brooke. It's great to have you on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here speaking with you today. And as always, with every single guest, the first question I like to ask is, can you share with us your career journey? Because I know yours is quite inspiring. The highlights, the lowlights, and why you're now passionate about how our individual and our organizational success can impact the world of work. I grew up in Silicon Valley before it was Silicon Valley as we know it today. So I was very much steeped in this tech culture before it was self-driving cars and before it was free lunch. It was like a bunch of nerds from around the world (laughs) came and like colonized the Bay Area and all bred and had children. And I went to school with those children. My parents were in tech. Their parents were in tech. And the all-girls school that I went to was actually founded to be a feeder school for women to Stanford University. And we had a lot of um, infusion of tech best practices and whatnot. So in that ethos and in that culture, I was taught that if you can dream it, then you can do it. All you have to do is work really, really hard. And all of these people around me were building these incredible companies, right? And selling them for billions of dollars. And they were working really hard. Intellect was king and hard work and hustle was queen. So what I learned is that if I wanted to make something happen, I needed to work really, really hard. The other element is that at home, in a very understandable way, my parents wanted me to achieve and to get straight A's. In particular, my dad once challenged me to get a straight A report card. The day I brought that report card back, I think I was 12 years old, top marks. Um, He picked me up, spun me around. And in that moment, I'd never felt more love and belonging than I did then. I felt really bonded with my dad because we really looked at each other as two high achievers. And in my childhood brain, I started associating and learning that success equals love and belonging, particularly from key authority figures. So I decided in that moment that I was going to do whatever it took to be the best, to climb any sort of ladder and to achieve. Because there were other moments throughout my childhood and also going to a really rigorous school where I felt less than if I Mm. wasn't the best, where I learned that 
teachers wouldn't look at me the same way if I didn't do well in their class. Or coaches wouldn't look at me the same way if I wasn't as good. So again, I learned and reinforced that what I do and what I produce equals my self-worth. So that created in me something that I now call, looking back on this event, the success wound. And the success wound is the pain that comes when we mistake our success for our Mm self-worth. And it gets instilled in us as children in these seemingly innocuous, meaningless moments. But in our childhood brain, they're really serious and they get embedded into our subconscious. So to fast forward a little bit, my success wound started driving my life. I went to the best school because that I possibly could get into because I needed that in order to feel okay. I got a job at Google straight out of school. I think I was one of the only people in my graduating class who even had a job at the time. And I remember my ego was so inflated. I felt so good about myself. And of course, I took that kind of gold star chasing mentality into Google, where just like our educational system, there's a ladder, there's a lattice, there's something that you can climb and ascend based on performance. And I loved that. I was addicted to it. In fact, I started in sales. And I just said that almost flippantly, like I was addicted to it. But I want to kind of touch on that a little bit because it really did feel like a compulsion or an addiction. Mm. I felt like I needed the achievement and the external validation in order to feel okay. When I wouldn't get it or when I saw other people get it more than me when I was in that comparison space, my self-worth would go down the toilet. And my self-worth was kind of fixed to this external validation and to this perception of me as a high achiever because my identity had been instilled at such a young age as being a high achiever. I didn't feel safe unless I was achieving So what this actually looked like in my career is that I'd work really hard Monday through Thursday. I'd make sure, especially in sales, it's really easy to know how you're doing. It's really kind of input equals output. So I would, there was a joke in my um, start class at Google in Ann Arbor. It was like eight before eight, meaning eight calls before 8 a.m. And like smile and dial and all these kind of other salesy jargon. (laughs) funny looking back on it. But um, I'd work really hard Monday through Thursday to get the achievement, to get the promotion, only on Friday to be exceptionally burnt out, really disconnected from myself, right? Because this kind of achiever mask was not the truth of who I was. I didn't feel seen in who I actually was. And this created this success wound really did start to create this splinter between my authentic self, who I truly was, my essence, my core, and this achiever self that needed the success in order to feel okay. And I actually ended up numbing that pain with drugs and alcohol. So working really hard Monday through Thursday, partying really hard Friday through Sunday, only to do it all again and wake up exhausted Monday through Thursday. And so it was these cycles of kind of burnout and rock bottoms that really plagued the early part of my career. Even though everything looked good on the outside, I be, I was able to manage a team before I turned 30, which is pretty rare at Google. I was promoted quickly. I won kind of this global sales award. And yet I felt really empty inside. And I was living this double life, this double life of working at Google feeling, looking really successful on the outside, 
but feeling anything but really plagued by imposter syndrome and perfectionism and overwhelm and overwork and more striving. And there's always more I could be doing. And if I'm not going forward, then I'm regressing and I can't seem to find a way to really rest. I can't find Mm. any sort of peace. And I know that that's really typical for people. And this is all because again, of the success wound equating my self-worth with my success Eventually, this splinter became this gaping wound inside, and I hit rock bottom. I hit rock bottom on my addiction, and I hit rock bottom on this insatiable need for success. That actually came to a head in the form of a sexual harassment that occurred. I was sexually harassed by a person who had authority over me, a person on a leadership team. And I actually said to a friend, I'm not going to report this because I'm up for promotion and I don't want that to, to impact this promotion. And I had that kind of out of body experience where as a leader, as a feminist, as somebody who values women's voices, I looked at myself and said, how am I valuing this promotion and my resume over my own voice and my own safety? And that was kind of the starting point of getting sober going through a recovery process and recovering not only addiction to addiction to drugs and alcohol, but really the root cause of that addiction, which is this low self-esteem and addiction to achievement. So that's what my corporate life looked like since then, you know, we can talk about that, but I'll, I'll just pause and see if anything came up for you there. That, I mean, your story is poignant, heartbreaking, and sadly too familiar I wish as much as I don't want anybody to be on their own, I wish I'd never heard that story before. I've never heard that exact unique story, don't get me wrong, but I've heard every single part of that from somebody else. And that's so heartbreaking that we're in a place where society creates this situation. Um, I, I want to spend the majority of today talking about success wounds because I think you've got something a really unique take on a very important issue that we face, not just as women in tech, the order, the audience of this podcast, but actually broader than that. It doesn't just apply to women in tech. It applies to all women and it applies to all humans in every single part of society. But I do, I do want to just call out a couple of things there. First of all, um, you mentioned that you didn't disclose or report a sexual harassment incident. And I know from many of the listeners of this podcast who've reached out to me over the years, that that is sadly far, far too common. And it just breaks my heart every time I hear one of these stories. Obviously, we're going to dig into with you a little bit of the success wounds influence on that. But is it only because of our success wounds? Or is there a legitimate point of that fear of backlash of if I report this, that's my career down down the toilet. What what would you say to that? Absolutely. There are multiple, multiple factors. One of those factors was I thought it was my fault. I thought because of my drinking, because I was drunk, that I was complicit mm. in that. So there's one element. The other is HR is ultimately beholden to the company, not the individual the employee. And I had heard, unfortunately, too many stories of that being true. I also wasn't familiar with the process of what it took to report a harassment. So I didn't know what that looked like. 
However, I will say just to be as an example and hopefully rewrite a bit of this story for other women, I ended up reporting it, but three years later in the midst of the Me Too movement, you might recall that there was this walkout at Google in 27, 2018, I think, in response to that and response to some other allegations that had come forward about um, across the tech industry, really, of sexual harassment going unaddressed. Uh, and it was called Times Out Tech. And they actually made the process of reporting sexual harassment more public and more easy So after seeing that process and disclosing what had happened to me to a trusted manager, my manager at the time, I felt more comfortable, but ultimately that manager actually had to look me in the eyes and say, you need to report this. Like you Mm -hmm. actually, I really think that you need to report this. And she was probably a bit heavier handed than I would have been, Mm -hmm. um, as like a coach, right? I feel like I'm always like, you get to decide it's your life, but she's like, you know, you need to report this. It's for your healing and for the betterment of this corporate culture. I did report it. It was a really good process. I was believed. It was transparent and open, and they took it seriously. And I'm so glad that I did do that. Um, I know that's not the case for everyone, but I think if we're going to talk about reporting it or not reporting it, we mm-hmm. should also share good stories of when it does go well. But again, yeah. that, that it, there was a three to four year period where I didn't report it and that it was unaddressed. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. But I I really like you. I hope that we are seeing a change. One of the, just as a side note, one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is help redress that conversation about HR's role in the workplace. I have had the privilege to coach some extraordinary head of people in tech companies. And HR's role is no longer just about there for the corporate machine and not about the employees. There's been a real shift. Um, I hope anybody listening to this podcast can at least investigate their own HR department. Not all are great, don't get me wrong. Not all companies are great either. But if you're listening to this and thinking, you know what, I need to report something, don't just assume without investigating that your HR team isn't going to have your back on that one. Um, let's move on to how success wounds impact corporations. And then I want to come back to us as individuals. So I think it would be worth just digging into, like, this is not just an individual issue. This is a productivity issue. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. So the micro is the macro and vice versa, right? What is a corporation? A corporation is a constellation of human beings. A corporation or an organization can have a success wound too. And what that looks like is when we pursue profit over people, when we equate our only reason for being with uh, maximizing profit um, and minimizing any cost, when there's a relentless drive and need, an insatiable need to increase share, you know, stock price, to be entirely beholden to the, the shareholders, for example. It's the same thing in the corporation as it is in the individual. So what that can look like and how that can manifest is kind of like what we talked about, HR departments who are more beholden to the corporation than the individual. And in a healed state, what that can look like is pursuing impact over profit, 
bringing heart and humanity back into the soul of a company. Because again, if companies are just constellations of humans, then a company has a soul too. Um, And going back to the industrial revolution, the roots of this is, is that in the 1700s, there was this transition from farming to manufacturing and people went from the farm onto the manufacturing and the assembling line. And the utility of the worker on the assembly line was literally how long they could stay in their post, how productive they were equated their value. And this helped transition our society to more of a kind of capitalistic society and a manufacturing society and a productive society. And so these corporations literally were machines, right? And I think Mm. what we're experiencing now in this post-COVID world is that corporation as machine is no longer working for people. It has to be corporation as mind, body, spirit, as soul. Um, And that might feel kind of airy-fairy or woo-woo, but again, I think what that looks like is it's bringing the humanity back into the HR department, into performance management philosophies, into a P&L, looking at culture. And the number one reason why people left their work or their company during the pandemic and today is because of toxic culture. And toxic culture looks like rigorous competition. It looks like name calling and disrespect. It looks like a lack of diversity. It looks like lack of psychological safety. And all of those are byproducts of company as machine and company operating in this wound. So that's what I mean when we need to restore kind of humanity and soul into a corporation. Oh, 100%. Everything, everything you're saying is resonating because I do think a lot of the issue with the toxicity that is the reputation of tech companies comes from, well, this is the only way we know how to make profit. Yes, we do live in a capitalist society. We can have a debate. I really want to have a conversation on this podcast with somebody about post-capitalism, but <laughs> like, what, what will that mean for tech? I've yet to find somebody to interview on that. But uh, we live in a capitalist society right now, but capitalism doesn't have to mean toxicity. It doesn't have to mean profit over people. It sh- certainly should not mean putting up with toxic behavior from individuals, which it has done historically. And as you and I as coaches are well aware of, one of the things when you address things like lack of diversity, we've all seen actually improves profit. And it's just addressing those underlying assumptions of operating procedures. Let's talk about individuals though, because it's what you and I really want to get to. Um, can you help Uh, listeners understand how to identify their own success wounds and maybe also notice when they're slipping back into operating under that success wound lens. So the success wound has a couple telltale symptoms, I should call it. I, my favorite one to identify and everyone can really identify with this is having a case of the when I haves. So you say, when I have the promotion, then I'll look for job that I really want. Or when I finished that project, then I'll finally slow down and relax. Mm. So assuming that success is a destination. So when I get there, then yes. I'll feel happy. Then my life will start. Another one is giving so much time to mentees or colleagues or friends, but not enough time to yourself. So not enough alone time, boundaries, et cetera, because you're so consumed with other people's perception of you. So people-pleasing, perfectionism, codependency in that way. 
comparison. So comparing yourself to friends or colleagues who have big achievements and wonder, am I doing enough? Even if you have so many accolades under your belt, even if you have the title that you want, there's still that underlying feeling of I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. And then very kind of generally like overworking and hustling to prove your worth to managers and to people and that you maybe even just don't care about. You're like, why do I care about their perception? But I can't stop caring about their perception. And I often see women also with just racing thoughts in this extreme mental load about how they're being perceived at work. What is the next move or three moves they need to make in order to get to that next level such that even when they take vacation or go to the gym or go to a friend's birthday party, they're still consumed with those thoughts. Um, So those are some of the telltale signs. And if you resonate with even just one of them, then you have a success wound. You have that pain of mistaking your success for your self-worth. It's fascinating because I mean, I've never called them success wounds before I met you but I have all of that in space and I have done throughout my career. There are, you know, the work I've done as a coach, we have to work on ourselves as coaches. I have my own coach, but that I need to do this only then can I is still prevalent. I now notice it in myself in a way I didn't 10 years ago. Do you think something like that, we can ever fully get rid of it? I don't. I think healing the success wound is a process. It's a lifelong process and it's a lens of how do I view myself and how do I view my work? So I think it's kind of like forgiveness. Like we're never going to ultimately forgive everything, but in a moment to moment basis, we can choose to forgive ourselves or forgive others. I know I, I, I mean, the, the irony of all of this is that I still sometimes slip into my success wound, wanting the (laughs) success wound, wanting to heal other people's success wound. I'm like, I don't have enough clients. I, I, you know, I haven't talked yet. Or, you know, once I have, you know, done that talk or whatever, then I will have really made it. And so I need to do something on myself, which I call the success wound protocol. And it's a very quick kind of three-step process that I take myself through um, to try to check my success wound. And the first part is to just do a little bit of a diagnosis. Like how, what is the belief that I'm believing right now? And who am I subconsciously comparing myself to? Oh, that coach that has X, Y, and Z that I want, or, Oh, that model of entrepreneur that I think I should be ascribing to who am I subconsciously comparing myself to? And how is that tripping me up? So giving myself a little bit of diagnosis. The second step is where am I feeling that in my body? Oh, I have anxiety in my chest. I I can't sit still. If I need to turn my brain off, I can't. Um, I typically get really racy. And if my fiance tries to calm me down, I kind of push him away. I'm like, get into a bit of an avoidance space. And so by showing myself where it is in my body, I'm able to get more in touch with it. And I'm able to kind of dilute its impact on my somatic experience. And then finally, it's reminding myself of what my true purpose and intention is in this moment, in this day, and in this life. And that's where the deeper healing work comes in and working with the coach is so critical to really anchor in in the why. Why am I here? Why do I care about spreading this message of the success wound? Because I truly deeply believe in its power to change our world, change our corporations and change our, our leaders, specifically female leaders. And if I'm doing that a little bit every day, then that is good enough. That is how I have defined success. 
And this is a new paradigm of success that's built on predicating success as a feeling, not a destination, Mm. knowing that it's self-written, not externally mandated. And this is how success can be much more conscious rather than almost subconscious or harmful to other people. I love that you call out there that we need to change this and make success a feeling rather than a destination. That's something I now work on with every single person that I'm privileged to work with. And I would say it's a work in progress myself. I will freely admit that I'm ambitious. Um, I have big things I want to achieve for the human race and the planet, big things. And I'm impatient for their success. And it's very easy to go from ambitious impatience to I'm not good enough because I haven't achieved it yet, rather than enjoying the journey. The feeling of the journey is what we need to dial into. And I don't think we give enough attention to that as a species, actually. I think that's so well said, and you're bringing up something so important, which is we love ambition. We want people to go out and achieve and like conquer everything that they want to do. Write the book become the next best thing, be the CEO, whatever that is, that's beautiful. And yet understanding what is the energy that is motivating you towards those dreams? Are you operating from a space of success wounding? Meaning if you don't get them, then you're not good enough. Or are you operating from a space of inspiration and possibility and contribution and purpose and impact intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation? Are you trying to get to your goals to prove something to yourself or others? Or are you really doing it from a creative space and from a space of wholeness and wanting to give away to others? I think that that's a really important distinction because a lot of people come to me saying, well, I still want these things to happen. And I'm scared that if I heal my success wound, I'll become this monk and I'll lose my identity as a high achiever. And I say, no, this will actually catapult your career in the best way possible because you're no longer going to be working from a place of fear, scarcity, and hustle. And you're going to be working and contributing from a place of impact, purpose, motivation, inspiration, and creativity. And it's going to make your work have greater longevity than it ever would. I love that. I love that so much. Oh, we could talk about this all day, but I do want to make sure we leave time for the quick fire round because people love this round. So quick fire questions. Are you ready? I am. All right. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? When I was considering leaving Google and moving to Australia and starting my coaching business at the same time as that move to Australia, I asked a couple senior leaders if they thought that I should transfer with a corporation with Google down there. And they all said, yes, you should stay at Google. You should do the safe thing and then maybe pivot into your coaching business. That was the worst piece of advice. I actually didn't follow it, thank God, but I have gotten a lot of career advice from execs and corporations who are advising me on how to climb fast Mm. from a linear logical perspective that was all fear and scarcity based. I ended up, the the thing about me is that I'm contrary. So if you tell me to do something, I'm probably going to do the opposite. Unless I like really respect you. So I'm a bit of a rebel in that context, but um, I'm so glad that I didn't follow that advice. Oh, there's another success rune there with being contrary, I'm sure. But um, that's so sadly so common. Far too many executives that I've both known and coached, they have great intentions, but it's a very narrow 
set of experiences that have got them to where they are. And there is no one way to do anything. Agreed. I'd say a large part of my job is pointing out the myriad ways we can achieve something and not just the role model that you're speaking to. Um, let's flip that on its head. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? If you want to go big, then you have to go deep. Kind of like a tree, the biggest oak trees with the tallest branches have the deepest roots. If you want to go big in your career and in your life, it has to be anchored deeply within yourself and ideally within a power greater than yourself too. So that is the best piece of advice I've ever gotten. That's beautiful. Truly beautiful. A little bit lighter. What's the last book you read and would you recommend it? It was a summer read. I love Reese Witherspoon's book club. So I read all the books that come out. So I read The Paper Palace. It's a bit dark, but it's a great beach read. Oh, I'm going to have to check that one out. I really just got into such things in recent times. I used to be a very serious reader and I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm too old for that. In my line of work uh, to kind of check out. And I love yeah. books. So yeah. yeah. All right. Mindset moment. Uh, what is your favorite mindset tip to help leaders, especially women leaders? If you're ambitious and a high achiever, examine your goals. Look at your goals and ask yourself, where did these come from? Who told you that this goal was worthwhile and worth achieving? And is it really yours? And why do you want it? I think so often as high achievers, we go into this unconscious space of just needing again to achieve because of our success wound. So if you have a vision board even, or if you have a list of goals that you want, that's conscious or subconscious, look at them and say, is this really mine? Love it. Love it. How can people connect with you and find out more about what you do? So my website is brooktaylorcoaching.com. There you can find two free resources. The first is if you're a female executive, you can go to brooktaylorcoaching.com slash female dash executive dash coaching. And you'll find a cheat sheet there with courageous communication tips. If you find that communication or having difficult conversations is something difficult for you, then that is a great resource for you. You can also go to my website, brooktaylorcoaching.com slash unstuck. And if you're having a difficult time plotting your next big move in your career, that's a really great resource to go to. You can also look at me up on Instagram. I'm Brooke V. Taylor. Awesome. Thank you. Have you any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today? No, I think I feel very complete. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. That was amazing. I feel like we could talk about success wounds and how you're giving a new set of nomenclature and understanding to a problem that many of us as coaches, as leaders have been scratching the surface of for years. I think I only first started understanding the issues we've been talking about today when I started being interested in the lack of women in tech um, from a true diversity perspective rather than the work I now do which is elevating women in tech and so thank you on behalf of myself of listeners for shedding light on such an important topic it means a lot to me and I, I think it means a lot to the audience as well today oh thank you so much thank you for the work you do too this has been one of the best conversations I appreciate it oh great and listeners, remember, as always, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.